Hello, and welcome to the podcast for Christ Community Church in Oak Ridge, Tennessee. This is the message that Tom Job gave on Sunday morning, June 27th, 2021, from the book of Philippians, chapter 1. We've been talking about um, just like like Paul, like he had such an amazing attitude all the time, no matter what happened. And it's because he was always aware of an invisible reality. I, I just like call them the invisibles. What was it that he knew that you couldn't see that made him, helped him to have like an amazing attitude all the time? So he says in chapter, in verse 27 of Philippians chapter one, where he was in prison and you know, you would think he would have, be having a terrible time, but he was, that, it's the book that talks about joy more than any other book, the new, like any of his letters. Seven times he talks about joy or rejoicing and he was in prison. So he said, whatever happens, conduct yourself in a manner worthy of the gospel of Christ. Then, whether I come to see you or only hear about you in my absence, I'll know that you're standing firm in one spirit, striving together for the faith of the gospel without being frightened by, in any way by those who oppose you. This is a sign to them that they will be destroyed, but that you will be, will be saved in that by God. For it has been granted to you on behalf of Christ, not only to believe in him, but also to suffer for him for his sake, since you're going through the same struggle that you saw that I had, and now hear that I still have. Father, help us to understand the un, the inexplicable, the, just th- that would, I guess, I don't know, that was a stupid prayer, just to, that you would help us to understand what's impossible to understand, but help us to understand, help us to, un, to, help us to get our mind, well, I don't think that's going to happen. We're not going to be able to get our mind around this. Help us to be able to see suffering that we have, that all of us have, that we're or we're going to have it, that seems incomprehensible. Help us to see what we can't see. In Jesus' name, amen. You know, do y'all know who, well, so there was a guy... He was in the movie MASH, and uh, well, no, he was on in the TV show MASH, named Alan Alda. Do y'all, do y'all remember him? He, was in, uh, he won like a lot of awards and a lot of TV shows and movies and stuff, but what he's doing at the end of his life, well, like at the, in the latter years of his life, is he opened a clinic for doctors and for medical health care providers to teach them empathy through improvisational comedy. Like, because like when you're kind of doing skits and you're making them up as you go, you have to really cue into people and what they're thinking and saying so that you can respond to them. And, and teaching them how to communicate with empathy and with clarity, because sometimes doctors maybe aren't like super, sometimes they maybe not super uh, amazing at, at that. I remember a doctor one time, he, he told a patient, he said, I have some bad news. He said, what's the bad news? He said, you don't have much time to live. And he said, how much time do I have? And he said, you have 20. And the guy said, what, 20 months, 20 weeks? He said, 19, 18, 17. <laughs> John Bryant, my, one of my favorite jokes of his, John, he said, you know, the doctor said to the patient, well, I've got some good news and some bad news. He said, what's the bad news? He said, bad news is you've got one week to live. He said, what's the good news? And he said, I got a hole in one yesterday. Not, not, but, um, but I, well, so Alan, so Alan Alda, he had, a, he had to have this like dental surgery and the, and, um, and the dentist had invented this procedure. And so as he was just about to put him under the anesthesia, the dentist said, okay, we're gonna do this procedure, but there's gonna be some tethering. And he was like, right to, you know, he had the, like his big knife out and stuff and about to put him under. And he said, tethering, he said, what's tethering? He said. Tethering, tethering, it's tethering. And I was like, okay. 
And he didn't know what it meant, and the doctor did not explain it. But then after the procedure, he was in a movie, and he had to like, there was a certain point where he had to smile, and his like, he, he kind of couldn't, because his like upper lip just kind of flopped down on his lower lip, and it's because the doctor had cut that little thing right there, and apparently that's what it was. And he told the doctor, I need my face to do my job. So, but what he, one time he was in Peru, and he had an emergency surgery, and, um, but it was called an end-to-end -end anastomosis. And he was like, I have no idea what that was. But the doctor explained to him, you know, exactly what it was. But he said one time, there was, a, there was an oncologist and uh, he had an intern with him. And there was, they, were having, they were talking to a woman and they, sat, they went into the room and, uh, the, and the woman was, um, she was in the hospital bed. And the doctor said, um, well, there has been, the tumor is metastasized, and so we're going to do a regimen of chemotherapy, but it's, um, it's palliative. And the woman just looked at him, and, and the intern realized she has no idea what he just said. And he went back, he said to the doc, can I take a shot at this? And he said, sure. And he went in there and sat in a chair by her bed and took her hand and said, you're going to die from this. And she started to cry. And we're just gonna keep you comfortable. And she started to cry and he started to cry. And he just went out and said, you know, that's how you do this. But there was a, one of the, there's a woman I just, I love to read, read her books, but she went through colon cancer. You know, and she said, people try to say things to make it better. And uh, so she had stage four colon cancer and um, a person that she didn't really know wrote her a card and the card said, I'm sorry for your loss. And then she had pin written with a pencil of your colon. And she was like, seriously? Like, was, are you kidding me? I mean, she wasn't kidding. She really meant to, meant to say that. But she, in her book, she has an appendix of like the five or six things you should never say to somebody on the worst day of their life. Like never say, I remember when my aunt was going, like, no, don't say that stuff. You know, I remember one woman said, I know this sounds trivial, but I lost my dog last year. And it's like, yeah, you know what? Not only does that sound trivial, but, but it is trivial. Like you would never say to someone, well, at least, it's like, no, no, no. At least you don't have stage five cancer. Just, you know, no minimalizing. Um, I guess God just needed another angel in heaven. She said, no, no, he makes those from scratch. He doesn't have to kill, you know, human being <laughs> to do that. I know this is gonna, I just know this is all gonna get better. And she said, you know what? You don't know that fairy godmother and you're gonna have a hard time walking that back if it, if it doesn't. But she said, the worst thing that people could say is, um, well, everything happens for a reason. And she, I mean, because, I mean, we know like Romans 8, 28, that people who love Jesus, God, God does make everything work together to a plan that we can't possibly understand. But when, but she said, when people say that, like what they are saying is if you could discover the reason, like if we could figure out the reason, what, because she said, when people are going through a hard time, what Christians do is Christians rush to find a story. If we could make this into a story that has a beginning, and then you find out there's a reason for this. And, and then there's kind of an arc of the story. And whether it goes well or doesn't go well, at least you know why it happened. And it, it's a beautiful story. 
and you close the book and give it to them and say, this is your story. It's, this stuff doesn't happen to me. This is like your story. They either try to make a story or lessons. I, God must be teaching you so much. You're, you could, I bet at the end of this, you're gonna say, it was worth it for what I learned. Like you're probably learning all about gratitude. You know how you people learn about gratitude at times like this, you know, and, and just like, are you saying, I was kind of grumpy or, uh, you know, you just need some chemotherapy to turn that smile upside down, you know, and it's just like, you know, just, but because a lot of times, I mean, I, I think that's why, that people want to make a story out of your suffering or try to help you see the lessons because they want to keep it on your side of the fence. Like this is your thing. I don't have to learn this stuff, so you do, so apparently, that's why this is happening to you. It's what Job's, like Job, he had some friends, but that's what they did the whole time. Like, I, I want to explain this to you. Like Eliphaz says, he said, maybe God is disciplining you. That's why you're going through all this terrible stuff that you're going through. It's a discipline. And Bildad said, I think this has to do with your kids, you know, because you know what happened to them. And then uh, Zophar said, um, I think this is a humbling thing, that God is trying to humble you. And Job said, like in chapter seven, he said, if I, okay, so if I had sinned, it doesn't even say if, in Hebrew it says, I've sinned. Who hasn't? It's not about that. It could, if, that if it's about that, we're all hosed here. Because like we, you know, we all do this. It's, you, it, you can't make a story out of it. I remember, I remember one time a woman, it was an interview she was giving and she said, she was a Christian fiction writer and she said, the thing I love about Christian fiction is that it always works out in the end. And I'm like, did you hear what you just said? Like a Christian, that's why they call it fiction, you know, but I remember one time there was a church, um, I didn't see it, but they made a movie uh, that it was a big church in Alabama or somewhere. And they produced their own movie and it went out into the theaters about a football team and a football coach and he was having a terrible time. He and his wife were having infertility problems and the team wasn't doing well. And then he accepted Jesus and um, you know, the team turned around and his, his, he turned around and they, his wife got pregnant and all that stuff. And it said it was based on a true story, but it turned out that, so the, the pastor of the church said this was based on a true story. Well, actually it was based on like about eight people's stories. Like we just took a piece of this and a piece of his, their life and a piece of their life and made it into one person. I'm like, no, 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 you could, no, you could not do that. That is like not fair. It's not, you know, it's not the way it is. You know, Elizabeth Elliot in 1960 seven wrote uh, the only novel she ever wrote. She was the one, she was the widow of Jim Elliott and he and four other men were speared to death when they tried to reach the Walrani Indians on the, in the jungles of Ecuador. But she wrote a book uh, called No Graven Image about a single missionary and, um, in Ecuador who just had a burden from God that she was going to translate the New Testament into one of the Quechua languages of the tribal people that lived in the mountains of Ecuador. And it wasn't a written language, but this was what God had sent her to do. And she met a guy named Pedro, and he spoke Spanish, which she spoke, you know, of course, Spanish. And um, 
But he spoke this Quechua language, and so he was going to be her translator. And he didn't know Jesus, and she was going to lead him to Jesus, and then he was going to help her translate this thing. They didn't want the New Testament translated into their indigenous language because they wanted their kids to speak Spanish and that they'd never get ahead if they didn't. But she felt called to do this. And then, so he became her employee with his wife, Rosa, and they lived in this hut and everything. Well, he got this infection in his foot and she was also did basic medical procedures. And so she, she had penicillin and a syringe and she gave him a shot of penicillin and this will help him. And then he will accept Jesus. And he went into anaphylactic shock and he started convulsing, convulsing and just like and all of a sudden and his wife realized he's dying and this young Margaret this missionary just starts to pray God if you you sent me here this was your thing this wasn't my idea you sent me here if you've never heard me before hear me now save him and he died and that was the end of the book and pastor said God would never do that. There was a pastor who said he took it as his personal mission to make sure that that novel did not get on the best, the uh, best, it was a best book of the year list of Christian books that year. Because God doesn't do that stuff. There's so many stories, stories I knew that almost were awesome stories, almost. There was a, one of my favorite Pastors was a pastor named John Newton who lived in a little village of only and he had been horrible and accepted Jesus and there was a poet one of the most one of the greatest poets of the 1800s and you know 1700s in England named William Cooper and but he was super super depressed and he lived he came to know John Newton and wound up living next door to him and they spent just time together every day and they wrote hymns together and um mostly to keep William Cooper afloat. Just hymns they would sing and they were together for years. And it's what William Cooper, it's what, and one of the hymns they wrote, they, were, they called them only hymns. Only hymn 37 was called Faith's Review and Expectation. Amazing grace, how sweet the sound that saved a wretch like me. They wrote like 180 something hymns such a beautiful story. William Cooper, he took, a, he took a dive there at the end and went into some land of bitterness. For the last 11 years of his life, he didn't speak to John Newton at all. It was almost a great story. There was a guy one time, we used to do a lot of evangelization in, in the main piazza of Milano. And, and uh, there was, a, there was a young man who came to know Jesus. He was from Palermo, Sicily, and had moved to Milano, which is the whole other end. And uh, really, really growing. He moved in with some guys that had an apartment together. And they were all growing together. And one night we were sharing Jesus out there in the main piazza, and there was a lot of people. And, and Antonio, it, he found a childhood friend from his town outside of Palermo. And he didn't know he was in Milano. And they saw each other. And they just, it was so awesome. It was such a reunion. And this young man had become a heroin addict. And he listened to the gospel. And he accepted Jesus. And he cried. And they invited him to come live with him. And for three days, we helped him to withdraw from 
heroin, like around the clock. And just, and he was so thankful to know Jesus and everybody was helping him to get off of heroin. And he got off of heroin and he began to grow. And I mean, who would have known a childhood friend that you would see him just like that and that he would come to know Jesus. And then one day they woke up and he had stolen all of their money and all of their sound equipment and he was gone. We never heard from him again. And it's like, that's not the story I wanted. But sometimes it just doesn't make sense. So Paul said, it's been granted to us on behalf of Christ, not only to believe in him, but also to suffer for his sake. But the, the expression for his sake is like for his benefit. Like Jesus, out of all suffering, he always makes it. I mean, how do you say this? Also suffer, I don't know that Jesus is able to make the kingdom of God advance. He's always advancing the kingdom of God. And suffering is a part of it. And so like, and sometimes you can see it, like in Acts chapter, you know, I think about how Paul suffered. In Acts chapter 16, you know, he was preaching the message of Jesus in Philippi and then was arrested and beaten and all that stuff. And, you know, and it's like, God, why did you do this? But he just started singing praises with his buddy. And the, the guy that had beaten him up and locked him up was listening. And he was like, wow, these guys have something I don't have. And he accepted Jesus, you know. And it was like, okay, I can see how that happens. But in 2 Corinthians chapter 11, where Paul's talking about, like, all, a big list of his sufferings. And some of you can see, I can see how that's, like, you know, for Jesus. Like, he, was, he said, I've been in prison a bunch. I've been beaten with rods. I've been stoned you know, jail, sticks and stones, breaking my bones and that, you know, for Jesus. But he said, but there were shipwrecks also. And you're like, well, a shipwreck kind of, you know, it dumps the Christians and the non-Christians in the water. Like, it's not really for Jesus. It's just stuff that happens. He said, I've been in danger in the river. And like, if you cross a river, like everybody gets swept away. It's not really a Christian thing. It's just kind of a suffering thing. He said, I've been in danger of robbers. And, you know, there's that story in Luke chapter 10 of a, of a guy who, who fell among robbers, like he just fell among them. In James chapter 1, it says, count it all joy when you encounter various trials. That word encounter is that same word, fall among. It's just stuff happens. Like, you know, stuff just happens to people. And uh, sometimes you can see how Jesus would use it, but other times it's just stuff. Like, you know what? You know it's true. Like, we've all just had stuff. And if you haven't, you'll have unexpected stuff happen to you that you never saw coming. And it doesn't make any sense at all. You know, that, that pastor said to Elizabeth Elliot when she wrote that novel, God would never do this to anyone. But he... He did it to her like she when she was a young single missionary in Ecuador. She wanted to trans translate the New Testament into the Colorado language. And she met a young man named Marcario. And he was the only person she had ever met that spoke perfect Spanish and and the and the language of Colorado, the Colorado language, which was an indigenous language. And he was helping her and they were making progress. And then he was shot and killed by robbers. And she's like, what is this? She said one time, you know, because when stuff happens to you and you like just stuff that you didn't see and it's so painful 
and it makes so little sense. And you think, why did this happen to me? Why? Why do I have to go through this? And Paul said, it's been granted to you. Suffering, the word granted is the word, it's where you get the word, it's the, where you get the word kadis, it's a gift. God gave it to you. God made it happen. No, wait, no, 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 no. You don't want to say that, that God's making this happen to me. What you mean to say is God allows this to happen. Whatever, say it however you need to say it. But God is sovereign over every molecule of this universe. It says in the book of uh, Ecclesiastes, in Daniel chapter four, it says, he does what he wants to in heavens above and earth beneath, and no one can stop his hand or say to him, what do you think you're doing? Ecclesiastes 7.14 says, the day of prosperity, rejoice, and the day of adversity, remember, the Lord has made the one as well as the other. Lamentations 3.38 says, is it not from the hand of the Almighty that both good things and calamities come? You know, and Elizabeth Elliot, you know, she said, as long as God was my accomplice in the mission that I wanted to do, I felt like he betrayed me. But when I worshiped him as God, it freed me that he could do whatever he wanted to with me. Anything. He can do whatever he wants to, even if I don't understand it. I'm just going to worship him. One time, the summer of 1995, it was, like, it was the darkest thing I'd ever gone through up to that point. It just felt like all the stuff we were doing was just turning to pile of crud. And I was just, you know, and I was, we had come home for the summer, and I, I, I just said, I, in my heart, I just said, what did I do, God? What did I do? Why are you so hard on me? What did I do? And then... Why are you so mean to me? You don't do other people. Why won't you bless me? Everybody's too blessed to be stressed and blessed with the best. It's like, why don't I ever get any of that? You know, and it's just like, it's always, why do you, and it's just like, why do you hate me? And, I, and then I, I realized in my heart, that's what I felt like. It's just like God was punishing me and I didn't know why, or he hated me for some reason. And then I realized, nope, I don't believe that because I believe the message of Jesus, that, all, that, that Almighty God became a human being to pay for me. I don't know why this is happening, that the sovereign God paid for me. He's Lord over everything. But I'm not being punished for my sins, being justified by faith. We have peace with God. He who hears my word and believes in him who sent me has everlasting life, will not come into judgment, but has already passed from death to life. This is not the judgment of God. He is not making me pay for anything. And the love of God is poured out in our hearts because at the right time, Christ died for the ungodly. I, know, I don't know why this is happening, but I know I'm not being punished. And I know that God loves me because Jesus died for me. It was the only, the, it was the only reason I had to believe that God loved me was because Jesus died for me because nothing else in my life said that. But then I realized, but I do have that. I do have a reason. And it's the only reason I need. I don't know why this is happening, but I know that Jesus is Lord over this situation and I know he loves me. I know it's not about that. 
I don't know when this is going to get over. I don't really know why it's happening. I don't know at all why it's happening. And you'll never really know why. You, you, whenever people say, you know why I think God's doing this to you? Okay, they're about to say something stupid so because they don't know. The, Ecclesiastes, what is it? At the end of chapter 6 where it says, nobody knows what God is doing under the sun. And if they say they know, they don't know. And we don't, but I do know Jesus is Lord. And he loves me. And that's all I need to know. Not everybody believes the gospel that we do. I mean, some people believe that the, the universe is full of good energy and you just need to get in touch with the vibes of it and lean into that and everything will go your way. And then when it doesn't, some people believe, you know, there's no meaning. We're just a bag of chemicals walking around one day. It'll all be done and it didn't mean anything. And I don't know what they do when stuff happens. But we believe, I do believe Jesus is Lord. I believe he's in sovereign over everything that happens. I believe he loves me because we do believe this message that Almighty God, we were a complete and total mess, polluted and couldn't pay for anything we'd done. Almighty God became a poor Palestinian baby in a Jewish community, a Jewish baby. And he grew up speaking language in a land far away, in a time far away, speaking languages we don't understand. And at a certain point, he became a sensation, but not in Africa, not in China, not in the Americas, only in an area about as big as New Jersey. And then one day he was just, he was arrested and he was spit on and slapped and he was stripped and he was nailed. And in ways that I can't possibly understand long ago and far away, he was paying the consequences and just all of my guilt was transferred to him. And he paid for all of it in three hours of global darkness and rose from the dead. And that's how I know. It took so many centuries of God putting things together in a global chess match to make that happen. And because I believe that, I know that he's Lord and I know that he loves me. Do you know, a lot of people don't believe that. Do you know why you believe that and other people don't? Paul said, it's been granted to you not only to believe in his name, but to suffer for his sake. The reason you believe that and other people don't believe it is that God made you believe it. You say, made, let, don't people have a free, people have free will. They, they have a free will. They don't do anything but stupid stuff with it. Like they're just completely <laughs> dead. The, the, the New Testament said you, the reason you believe the message of Jesus and you believe that God is, that Jesus is Lord and that you are loved is because God chose you before this world was ever made, that he wanted you. And at the end of Acts chapter 13, Paul gave this great talk. And then a lot of people, some people accepted Jesus, some people didn't. But the ones who did, it said everyone who was appointed for eternal life believed. Wow. They, because they were appointed for it. In, in 2 Corinthians chapter 4, Paul said the reason people don't believe in Jesus is because Satan is like blind to them. But the God who said, let there be light, has made his light shine in your heart. And he's saying what, what that says is that like in, he's going back to Genesis chapter 1 when it says, in the beginning God created the heavens and the earth. And the earth was formless and void and darkness was over the face of the deep. And it, everything was chaotic and empty. It was tovu and bohu. And God said, let there be light. And there was light. And he said, every day in this world, he goes into hearts that are covered in darkness and they're tovu and bohu, chaotic and empty. And God says, let there be light. And you get it. And that's why you got it. And somebody said, I, I don't know how that's fair. Doesn't God love everyone? Yes, God loves everyone. 
but he is sovereign over every neuron and in, in, in every brain and heart in this universe. And the reason that you believed in him and others didn't is because he wanted you and he made you believe in him. Doesn't he love everyone? Yes, he loves everyone. Why did he want me? I don't know, but I know he's Lord and I know he loves you and he wanted you. And that's why when you go through a hard time and you believe that, that you believe, you can know no matter why is he making me go through this? I don't know. But you know that he's Lord and you know you're loved because he made you believe that. Why me? I don't know. But apparently we know all we need to know. You know, there's a place in the book of Job. So Job was written, all of his friends say, oh, here's why this is happening, this, this, this. He's like, no, 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 it's not that. I don't know what it is. Job is the first book of the Bible. Job probably lived around the time of Abraham. You never hear about Abraham or Moses or anybody like that in the book of Job. He just grew up in Mesopotamia, kind of before the Hebrew nation began. I mean, he was way, way, way back, before they knew anything, but he knew something. He knew the true God. There's two places where he calls God Yahweh, like way, way back in Mesopotamia. And he said in chapter 16, I don't know why this is happening to me, but my witness is in heaven and my advocate is on high and he intercedes for me as a friend. My intercessor intercedes with God for me as my friend. And I know that my Redeemer lives and I will see him in this flesh on this earth. How did you know that? How did you know it before Abraham, before Moses? How did you know that? I don't know why this is happening, but I know there is the one Lord and he loves me. God made him believe. Thank you, Lord. I just pray for anybody right now super confused about something that they're going through. Help them to hold on. Help them to own their own belovedness. Help them to believe the simple message that you're Lord over everything and that they're loved. And help them to know in the depths of their heart that this is all they need to know. It makes me think and stand up tall. It makes me
Okay.